If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello, everybody. Andy here. Welcome along to episode 23 of the Early Excellence Podcast. In this week's episode, we're going to explore taking continuous provision beyond the EYFS and into Key Stage 1. So, coming up, we talk to James Hitchens, who's the head of school at Penryn Primary Academy and Nursery in Cornwall. As part of the interview, James describes the school's rapid journey of improvement that really began with an Ofsted inspection back in 2017, which judged the school to be requiring improvement. James explains the process of creating inspirational learning environments from nursery into reception and then very much into Key Stage 1. So, here's my chat with James. As part of the discussions, we talk about all sorts of things. We talk about the background to developing continuous provision across the EYFS and into Key Stage 1. We talk about the thinking behind it. We talk about continuity and progression from the EYFS onwards. And, of course, the impact that that process has had on the young learners at the school. Okay, so here's the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, James. Tell us a bit about where you happen to be. Where in the world are you then, James? Hi, Andy. Uh, Yeah, thank you. I'm James Hitchens, head of school at Penryn Primary in Cornwall. Uh, Penryn is a a, a largest town, a large for Cornwall uh, primary school. It's just outside of Falmouth. Uh, We've got 400 uh, children on roll and we're part of the Aspire Academy Trust. So the Aspire Academy Trust literally is a spider web of Cornwall all the way up north to Bude uh, and down as far west as St. Union, which is near St. Ives. Um, so we're a, predominantly a, a two-form entry school um, with um, a great catchment. I think it's one of our best things of our school. We've got a brilliantly, beautifully diverse catchment, uh, which, which uh, it, our, our uh, setting provides. Fantastic. Fantastic. And of course, you're going to tell us all about your Key Stage 1 classroom and your Key Stage 1 provision as part of the conversation, because I think lots of people will find that really interesting. Um, I often find that when we're working with schools, that... That, that, that difference quite often, the, 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 the gap in terms of um, pedagogy between what's happening in the EYFS and what's happening in Key Stage 1 is often, it's often huge. And I know that you've been working a lot on developing continuous provision and developing your practice in Key Stage 1. So tell us first of all about the starting points for that. Where did, where did, where, where did that journey begin? Yeah, absolutely. So it's been a long journey and and an ongoing journey that I don't think will ever be completed. Uh, And and it's definitely a narrative and definitely a story of what's worked for us. There have been many lessons along the way uh, and it's been going since around 2017. So 2017, we had our earliest data um, was was substantially below national. We were reflecting, so our catchment is fairly diverse. Mid 30s PP, mid 20s um, SEND need. Uh, and we looked at our provision and thought, are we offering what, what our children need? So we did some reflections and, and some conversations and got, got in touch with Phil, actually, of Early Excellence uh, and started a dialogue around how we can make sure that our provision matches our need, but also, also matches what our provision stands for. So we are very uh, child-centered in terms of happy learners, 
Happy learners are going to be successful learners. And all of what we've done has been based around that principle that actually for children to be happy, they're going to be successful and it's going to lead to learning. So we did focus initially around reception. So exploring the early excellence ideas and models and, and really reviewing our provisions in terms of questioning and, and, and how children are challenged, but also the role of the adult and how they can promote the learning. That has kind of uh, become embedded over the last couple of years. So we've got a fantastic team. Uh, I, 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 I'm like a broken record and, and they'll laugh at this. You know, foundation stage, it's known as, and I, I'm the biggest advocate of that. You know, getting that foundation right is so important. So we juggled around our team. We've got a really talented team throughout the school, but actually I'd argue some of our strongest teachers are down in that foundation stage to set up uh, the, the, the kind of journey for school. You get it right in the early years, it really helps them and really helps them to flourish. So we saw uh, improvements with data, improvements with outcomes, but most importantly, ch children being happier. Um, so last data drop in 2019, we were at or above national. So a real journey there, you know, 15%, 16% uplift in, in data terms. Um, but most importantly, the children are happy. They're ready for the next step in education. And, and pre-pandemic, so it would have been June, November 2019 off the top of my head. We, yeah. we, we, we were really, first data drop, we were scratching our heads again at that cliff face, like we call it the cliff face of year one. You know, going from this child-led, um, play-based, inquiry-based learning in, in, in reception to this formalized row, well, it would have been rows in, in um, lockdown times, but into this formal lockdown, quite restrictive year one curriculum and, and, and year one classroom, which I'm sure you'll see across the country. Um, and and it, didn't, it didn't allow the children to be, well, to, to, to follow on from what they've learned in early years. I mean, I mean, and I describe that cliff face because they went from this beautifully creative, free, adult-led, dialogue-based, play-rich uh, play environment into this formal, I'm teaching or listening, two-way teaching style which didn't kind of work and and children weren't happy and that they, they weren't flowing with that earlier so we kind of asked the question you know is there a project to explore with, with, with year one in in terms of that what that that what made us great in, in reception you know can we learn from that and think about how we can embed that in, in, into year one so we started again the dialogue with phil and he put us in contact with a great school in reading and we did some research and looking around the scandinavian countries and being you know round seven being developmentally ready for that more formal learning and there are lots of questions and lots of challenges um particularly in terms of senior leaders and, and I'm, I'm using inverted commas here about year one learning but actually, what do we want to achieve out of year one? You know, what do we want? How can we build on reception? And, and, and there's some real big questions to be answered. Um, we got on board with the earliest lead for the trust. We felt that this was a, an exciting project. So we, we, we um, set, kind of set the scene for the trust. And we're doing a, a bit of action research, really, to look into how we can make our year one provision, one, more successful, but, but, but two, more well, happier for the children. So we did that background, did the research, uh, and then we've now into our second year of it. So a second year in terms of delivering the year one curriculum, and that's been a, a steep, steep learning curve. But most importantly, to, to go onto that kind of outcome already and initially, our children are much happier to come to school. You know, and there's been lots of questions from other leaders, you know, they're not going to be ready for year two. You're going to push the problem on. Well, actually, quite the opposite. And, and we had a real epiphany moment in, in, in September whereby 
we had some visitors, namely Ofsted, and we were walking down the corridor and, and, and the inspector said, they're not going to be ready for year two. You're just pushing the problem on. Okay, okay, okay. So we walked into the year one, uh, year two class. It was a beautiful session. The teacher was delivering the maths. I can remember it like it was yesterday. And I just turned to the inspector and said, they are ready for this. They have had the foundation. They've had the building blocks to allow them to succeed. You know, I talked about the brain science and you've mentally ready for it and they are flourishing. Uh, we did some moderation last week and our writing's never been better. Year one, similarly, so I, I could talk all day. No, but that's, it's, it's amazing. Do you know what, what comes across loud and clear? You know, even before talking about the, the actual journey of developing the practice, what I love is the way that you're talking so positively about your staff. I think that's brilliant, you know, which I know it's, it, it should be just a prerequisite, shouldn't it? It should be just something that happens. But actually, quite often, I think early years teams particularly often feel a bit like the sort of the poor relation sometimes of, of the school team, that they aren't really listened to and people don't really get what is happening within within that area of school. So, it, no, it's fantastic to talk to somebody who's clearly listened and clearly engaged with the team and, and talks up the team as well, even before you get to that key stage one part. But also thinking about, I think what's great is that you're thinking about what happens at the end of, like you say, that cliff edge, at the end of EYFS, when those children are then going into key stage one that there is a clear difference, isn't there? There is, a, there is a difference in terms of pedagogy quite often that when you think that actually there is a huge difference in pedagogy and yet the children are six weeks older. You know, they are, they, they, they are the summer holiday older than they were when they left reception. And yet the practice quite, can often be like a completely different school experience altogether. And so what you're saying about creating something that actually, actually prevents that or, or certainly smooths that, I think has got to, to me, that's common sense, really. It, it's, and yet, it, it, and yet it's, it's, not common, it's not just common sense. It takes a lot of doing, doesn't it? It takes a lot of thinking through and really considering all sorts of things around child development and your school and the children's needs. And also lockdown and as well, you know, all of those issues around, around lockdown that, of course, have, have added to the issue, really. Um, what, what I think is interesting is, is what does that then look like in practice? You know, so, so you go from the early years and you've got, as you mentioned, you've got that play-based, really engaging, hands-on curriculum. You've, re you've really talked about that, that positive experience for your children. So the interesting thing for me is... When you build on it, what does that then look like? Because I think what most people will be wanting to know and will, will be really curious to know is what does that actually look like in practice? Because I think when people get this wrong or when, or when it gets a bit of a bad press is when people don't do it right in that they end up recreating reception when actually what we're talking about is still challenging the children and it's the challenging bit that's crucial, not just a, a revisit or a kind of going over old ground, but absolutely something that is building on the principles, building on the pedagogy, 
whilst offering something that is more challenging. And you were kind of touching on that, weren't you, at the end of what you were just saying. So what does it look like in, in practice? You know, what happened next in terms of developing it? Yeah, great. So to, to LinkedIn further and, and, and wider, this year we have started two-year-old provision as well. So we've got the two-year-olds, the nursery, the reception, all the way through to year one using a continuous provision model. And we... I think a great example, and, and I use this regularly, you know, within, within nursery, uh, for example, uh, you would have Duplo. Within reception, you may have Lego. And then year, year one, we'll have Brio, for example. So actually really challenging the staff back to that, saying, how is this different? How is this going to support the children's learning in, 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 in equipping them for the next step in their education? I think of another good example, in, in reception, and I'm using construction and art because I think it's a real visual one. You know, in, in reception, they're provided with the colors. You know, in year one, they've only got the primary colors and white and black. So again, you can see that step up of challenge. But what's beautiful within the year one classrooms we've got at the minute is, and again, we are honing our craft and, and refining our craft. And like I said at the start, this is never going to be finished. And I know I, I, I can picture Sarah now, you know, oh yes, but I'm going to do this next and I've learned from this. And, 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 but, but actually it's because that reflective practitioners, what the, what the whole provision and whole um, approach allows is reflective practitioners to own their craft and have that real understanding. So we have learned so much in the last 18 months and, and last year we, we had uh, one year one class and we learned an awful lot and, and thought about it, it changed rapidly from September to Christmas to Easter to the summer and to this year. But actually now we're kind of learning from last year what has worked. Um, you know, so there are still taught sessions, whole class taught sessions. But actually, you know, everything within the year one provision has been explicitly taught. So uh, any resource within provision, like you would in reception, is going to be explicitly taught. You know, the resources are carefully planned and we've thought about planning sheets and how we can explicitly differentiate that from a reception class to a nursery provision um, in, in that they'll have the taught sessions and then they'll be taught for example maybe in provision and then the children will come and actually do their focus activity now not to uh, stereotype any year one class in this in the country but often and historically at one of those questions and, and, and head scratching moments with the cliff face we had you know, often within a year one lesson, a, 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 a teacher delivers at the front, will go off and do a, a 35 minute, I'm just uh, plucking a number there, independent task. And actually the child's probably doing 10 minutes of effective independent learning. Whereas actually now with the, with the year one model, there will be a whole class input, which may cover a day or two, for example, in maths or in writing. And then the teacher will have, or the adults, We'll have a clear focus group who they're working with for maybe 10, 15 minutes to complete the activity. Again, not heavily scaffolded, but promoting independence. Of course, you support them as you would expect, but actually the adults are leading that support to enable them to be successful. So I got a great example last week, which we tweeted, you know, a fantastic example of a, of a, of a, a, a low ability child working independently. You know, and it's brilliant to see because that provision was right. The provision matched the need. Yeah, so that step up and resourcing, for example, so word maps and such would be developmentally appropriate for, for, the, for the year one rather than reception. So we've actually got an exciting CPD session. I want to say second week back after half term, the staff are going to be getting, all staff, because all our leaders, our leaders across the school, uh, are going to have a blank grid 
of, of the yeah. areas of learning and they're going to go through from the two-year-old room to the nursery room to the reception room to the year one room and they're going to start to, to pencil in the level of challenge and how it is different because like you said it, it is so easy to say oh it's just a ramped up version of reception well it's really not and it's that being clear about how it's different that I think is always important. That having that, like you say, doing that activity will be so important to the team in understanding that actually there is a progression there. Even though we might be talking about something that is built around play-based learning or active learning, hands-on learning, whatever you want to call it, there is a progression there and a progression of skills and a progression potentially of expectations as well. In that some of the resources and of course, I don't know your setting, but some of the resources actually could be the same resources. If they're open-ended enough, you could actually have the same resources in reception and in year one, allowing your children to progress with those resources and do different things when they're in year one using the same resources. Now, not everybody gets that. And yet I think actually, I think that is important. I totally agree. And actually, I think that's where the role of the adult is so important in actually yeah. how do the adults ask those questions to challenge, to extend, to promote the independence, because it's so good when the children feel safe and they know the resources, don't they, to be able to yeah. be creative. But it's about that those, those carefully crafted provisions and activities enhancements to enable them to show that level of challenge, to enable them to show that level of understanding is where it comes in. And it goes into that planning phase, doesn't it? Actually, what are we hoping to achieve here? So going back to the start, what, what, what are we hoping to achieve by the end of the term, the year? You know, what is that next step? And what are those milestones, and those endpoints we're working towards? Yeah, absolutely. So a bit like, you know, with, say, block play, for example, you could have block play with your two and three-year-old children where they've got a good set of different shapes and sizes of wooden blocks. You could have more or less the same set of wooden blocks in reception, but those children won't be just creating towers as maybe your two to three-year-old children might be doing, but actually, uh, and creating simple enclosures, but your, 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 um, your, your nursery and then your reception children will be doing different things with it again. Um, and becoming increasingly complex with in, in terms of their uses. If you've then had that all the way through that amount of time and then keep it going into key stage one, you're going to see the benefit of all of that background of learning, aren't you, coming through into key stage one, where they're creating more, much, much more complex structures. They're, they're collaborating, they're being imaginative using fantasy ideas, all sorts of different things. And, 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 and an example really kind of shines on my head from this week, actually. Um, we had our year one children, they're, they're doing some contrast, uh, contrasting localities and where they've been in the world, not as much recently, um, but, but the, the children actually created an aeroplane using it from their block play. And the discussion and the language that came out of that, it supported their writing. And actually the, the teachers were, were asking those questions to, to, to get that depth of understanding, to get that depth depth of knowledge which they can then transfer into their writing so again it's about making those links and actually being still being child-led and, and I think back to our again one of our major kind of conundrums at the start you know language is a barrier for our children communication interaction is a, is a huge barrier for our children so actually how does our environment think about year one enable that so our continuous provision is enabling is supporting a language rich environment where they can explore with one another they can come up with their own solutions and come up with their own problems as well uh, and about those teachers being the facilitators of learning is so important for me 
Yes, absolutely. And I think what's key as well is that you're talking about a language-rich environment which where the focus is on what the children are doing with those open-ended resources, the ideas that they're having, the conversations they're having with other children, the conversations they're having with staff who are teasing out that learning and who are, who are challenging the children in, in terms of adding new words or new vocabulary to that. And that you're, you're quite rightly saying that's a language-rich environment. Whereas I think sometimes what happens is we get we get a language rich environment wrong i think in in schools and settings sometimes where we where we end up with a kind of what is really more like a print rich environment and call it a language rich environment i know that sounds daft but i see quite a lot of that where people will put loads of amazing water words on display around the water tray and that that's that then for them becomes a language rich environment because we've got the, all these words dangling from an umbrella above the water tray when actually of course that's not a language rich environment the children aren't going to read it and say it not when they're four they not <laughs> you see what i mean it's got to be about doing and it's got to be about talking about what you're doing and meaningful uses of vocabulary hasn't it and i, th I think that's where the teaching comes in is that modeling of the language, you know, not, not, not having, so again, we, we talk about the provision being a third adult, you know, having that, 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 that taught provision. So actually, if you're seeing language on the, the walls or whatever it may be, that's been explicitly taught in context to support their understanding, to support their principles. And, and when we go back to that, that difference, because like you gave the example in terms of blocks, maybe the same blocks, it, within our year one provision, the principles will be very similar to, to reception. But actually, it's about that level of challenge, level of interaction, level of expectation, and about how they craft those tasks and activity and the learning intentions to really extend them. So, yes, we have words like you're saying, but actually it's about how we as adults explicitly teach and model that language. Yeah, absolutely. It's about the role of the adult, isn't it? I think what's interesting also about what you're saying is that I imagine that that's been... I don't know what your Key Stage 1 classroom was like before, but I imagine that that has been quite a step forward in terms of what you're asking your staff to do. You know, that idea of actually the different contexts for teaching are very different now, presumably, to what they've been like previously, that you're expecting the staff to be teaching in a whole wide range of contexts in different areas of provision, responding in that moment, not just being able to follow the plan, but really being able to respond in that moment to what the needs of the children are. That's, that's challenging stuff and, and has, it, it, will, it means you have, of course, high expectations for your staff. But it's just, I think, really interesting to consider that that must have been quite a journey for them, I guess. Yeah, big time. Absolutely. And, and it continues to evolve. And like I said, yeah. it, it, will, it will never be completed. No two days are the same. Um, and... We have invested hugely in our staff. We've got, a, a, like I said, a, a really, really talented team down in early years, all the way through to by the whole school, but year one as well. And actually, they're continuing going, oh, we came up with this and this is the discussion. So actually, maybe tomorrow, maybe to follow that up or, or have you had similar conversations and, and are there different trains of thought? Where can I extend this further? So again, that dialogue, professional dialogue with the team as well, with each other going, where am I? What are they doing? What are we trying to go back to our core principle in, in learning? It, it, it's challenging them. Um, but again, it's around that reflection and, and, and the, the dialogue together as a team. You know, This year, our assistant head, Chris, is working in, in year one as well. Um, so we, we've been quite lucky this year, um, having two forms in year one. 
one of our, our really strong reception teachers has moved through. So it's got that continuation and it's been really good because she's really championed that, that, that year oneness, we call it, you yes. know, why is it different? You know, and around their language expectations. So it's an ongoing challenge, it's an ongoing dialogue and it's an ongoing professional reflection that all staff need to be on board with as well because going back to that 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 start you know our maths lead needs to be fully aware of it you know our 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 pshe lead needs to be fully about it because it does look so different to your traditional learning but actually when you get it right and we're not there yet but we're getting it better you know it, it, it is so impactful Absolutely. I think as well, going back to that idea of the adult, the role of the adult, I think what what comes across loud and clear from what you're saying is as well, is that it's a kind of a, it's, it's a flexible way of working where the adults are empowered to work in that particular way so that they they can go in a direction with the children and explore something with them and ask questions together. That, that kind of co-learning is what we're talking about here, isn't it? Where where adults will will be facilitating, but they will also be kind of wondering about things with the children and then following up that with them, even if the adults don't know the answer to that, which is something that we've talked about previously on the podcast. I think that brilliant moment where adults and children, neither of them know the answer to whatever the question might be and you end up with adults who are genuinely interested in the learning in that learning process and by doing that we're modeling being a learner and how interesting being a learner is we're not just pretending to be a learner for their benefit we really are being a learner we're modeling that learning process and that strikes me as what it sounds like that's what's happening with you definitely and and i think actually a lot of the adults when they are aware of the learning and aware are are not with them at that time, are often trying to try and support the children to make those links. So they're making the links between their learning, making the links between the areas. Oh, when you spoke in this area, remember when we discussed oh, the, the senses or the smell or whatever? Oh, can we bring that into our writing and, and supporting the children to link their learning? I'm all, I can almost visualize that classroom as like a spider's web, you know, that, that the kind of where we are and, and how it all draws in together, together and, and is carefully crafted. Um, yeah, it's a real challenge. And when you see it, it, it it's, it's different because like you're saying, the role of the adult changes. And, and, and is that facilitator learning, working alongside the children? Yeah, it's exciting. So um, we're nearly, we're going to have to draw things to a close in a minute, but just in terms of kind of impact, really, um, obviously you've talked about some of the impact already of kind of what you're seeing in the children, that, that day-to-day impact of seeing that, that real motivation and drive and all of those sorts of things through your creating the space and, and changing the way you use it. Um, how, how else would you kind of define the impact for, for you in terms of the school? The biggest one, the biggest one that I will say, every child, and I will put my, my uh, cards on my sleeve, my heart on my sleeve there, every child is happy. Every child within year one is happy. They are wanting to come to school. They are running through that door because they are loving coming to school. And actually, if they, if you get to the point whereby children are loving coming to school, they're going to learn more. You know, really passionate. And I, I say it regularly to staff, let's get them loving coming to school. They're going to be happier. And in terms of data, 
it's looking it's looking in line with where we would expect to be. Yes, they've had some huge gaps and actually need consideration, but actually in terms of progress. So I think about the progress from start of the year to now, back to February to now, et cetera. We can see that progress and the children's confidence to be able to be learners. You know, those characteristics of affected learning are really starting to see. And actually I think about our year twos now, as I, I that gave that example back in September, they are ready for learning. They're embracing the learning. So we're still very early in the journey, but those year twos now seem to be able to access the learning better. At the minute, our data has never been as good as the year two, which is going to probably buck the trend in, in, in terms of what we'd expect with the pandemic. But actually, they are ready for that learning because they've had those firm foundations. They are wanting to come to school. They've got those characteristics of effective learners. They're becoming more independent. They're becoming more resilient. They're, they're, they're really taking ownership of their learning. So haven't got any concrete data because of uh, end of year attainment and such, but everything that is suggesting they are happier, they're making far better progress, and yeah, it, it, it works for our provision. Have we got it right? Not always, but actually we're on the right track, I feel. It's, it's a really exciting time. I've got one hell of a team. I'm, I'm so lucky to be supported by Phil and Helen, who's the earliest lead for the trust and such. You know, it's a real exciting time. Um, and actually, I feel fortunate that we got kind of jumped on this bandwagon. Um, that's not a fair phrase, is it? But we jumped on the, uh, jumped on the continuous provision model just before lockdown, and, I, and it was fortuitous really uh, i think with with the lockdowns and such it makes so much more sense but even even before that you know the learning we're offering the the, the provision and our offer is matching our children's needs and, and we're starting to kind of reap the benefits of that well thank you very much thank you so much for joining us for the for the interview for the podcast call um yeah i found it really interesting really interesting to listen to what you've got to say so yeah thank you so much my pleasure thank you So thank you very much to James for joining me for the, the interview there. Lots of really interesting stuff. Um, it was great to talk things through with him. Um, what's really striking, I think, is the, that rapid improvement that the school have clearly been on. You know, from 2017 and having that requires improvement judgment to going actually through to, to now where, of course, the journey doesn't finish but actually a recent Ofsted inspection acknowledged that clear improvements had definitely been made um, and that the school was a solid good just in a very recent Ofsted inspection. Um, and the team said actually within the report, they said children in the early years get off to a flying start. Isn't that fantastic to go from, from that requires improvement low to, to really feeling that, that sense of achievement in what they've put together, not just in nursery, not just in reception, but actually beyond there as well into Key Stage 1. So fantastic achievement. Um, following on from the conversation, I've, I've put together a few questions that I think actually quite naturally arise from the discussions that I think are well worth considering in terms of your practice. So when you think about practice at your school, does the practice in key stage one build on the principles of effective EYFS practice? You know, like James was saying, that idea of not wanting to come to a cliff edge at the end of at the end of reception and for something to kind of start again, but in a different way. But actually to for the key stage one practice to build on those effective principles. OK, so certainly something to think about there. What else? Well, what about the resources 
and how they're used within your classroom environment in Key Stage 1. So that idea of continuous provision and keeping that going through into Key Stage 1, I think relies on staff who are confident also in using those resources as teaching tools. So when you think about your resources in Key Stage 1, in your Key Stage 1 classrooms, are the resources in Key Stage 1 used as teaching resources? The reason that I ask that is that sometimes what we find is that resources are seen as teaching tools or teaching materials across the EYFS. But then when we get into Key Stage 1, sometimes they're seen as opportunities for activities that kind of happen after the work has finished rather than being integral to the work, as James was talking about. Okay, so again, certainly something to consider there. And thirdly, does your key stage one timetable allow time and opportunities for children to express their own ideas, to explore and make connections in their learning? Do your, does your timetable allow for those conversations, for those explorations that James was talking about there that are very much a key part of effective practice, not just, of course, within the early years, but actually into key stage one as well. Okay, so certainly lots to think about there. Um, if you're looking for more support on this, then it's well worth looking into the resources and materials that we have available at Early Excellence. Um, we'll put a link actually in the, in, in the information that accompanies the podcast um, so that you can, you can go straight to the, you can click on the link and go straight to our continuous provision guide for Key Stage 1. Within it, there's loads of information. So lots of things that actually run hand in hand with what James was talking about. That idea of, of an effect, effective curriculum for Key Stage 1 that builds on that effective practice within the EYFS, where we're offering something very much developmentally appropriate that really fires up the children's imaginations and inspires learning. Okay, um, can be really difficult, I think, in terms of where to start. So I would certainly recommend our continuous provision guide for Key Stage 1. Um, yeah, the link will be in the podcast information. All right. Thank you again for joining us, everybody, and we'll see you next week.